Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. We'll remain standing just for the scripture reading for the sermon. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And I will be reading from verses 13 through 15, and our text is verse 15 today. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him on the cross. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we live out our lives according to our view of the cross. If the cross accomplished little, then our expectation for the kingdom will be little. But if the cross accomplished a victory, then our expectation is that in history, Christ will be victorious. And so I pray today that you would grant us to behold in your word the victory of Christ on the cross. And out of that victory, the marching orders of a mission for the church of Jesus Christ to be faithful in the days in which the church finds it. Accomplish your divine purpose for the preaching of the word today, we pray in Jesus' name, and amen. You may be seated. Jason, could you shut that door? We're going to get some activity outside there. And uh, You know, guys, uh, churches, we come to the word uh, today... We are used to verse 14. We are used to talking about what Christ accomplished on the cross for his people by the way in which verse 14 expresses it to us. That when Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross on Good Friday, something else else was nailed there with him. Not only was Christ nailed to the cross, But what was also nailed to the cross with Christ was our record of debt. A record of debt that we could never pay. A record of debt that Paul says stood against us and rightfully so. Because in our sinfulness and in our sins and in our union with Adam, it rightly stood against us with its legal demands. And we were guilty before it. But when Christ went to the cross and was nailed to the cross, not only was Christ nailed to the cross, 
Not only was the sign that Pilate had prepared Jesus king of the Jews, not only was that nailed to the cross, but in addition to that, so was the record of debt against us. That also was nailed to the cross, and Christ answered it, Christ exhausted it, Christ absorbed it, and what he got for us, because he took that record of debt to the cross with him, now according to verse 13, we are made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And because of what Christ got for us on the cross, by taking that debt for us, we now have life. And we have the forgiveness of sins. But normally we limit the accomplishment of Christ to that point. Normally we think the cross of Christ was only about getting sinners, only about saving sinners, only about accomplishing redemption for sinners. But Paul tells us that Christ was accomplishing more on the cross than the salvation of sinners. Certainly, he was saving sinners, but he was actually doing more than that. And that is verse 15. You will notice right after Paul says, by nailing it to the cross, Paul says this in Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. See, Christ not only conquered sin and death on the cross, according to Paul, Christ also accomplished a cosmic victory. A victory not over sin and death, but a victory over the powers, a victory over the authorities, a victory over the principalities, a victory over the rulers in high places. Christ was accomplishing more than the salvation of his people. He was also conquering an unseen realm on the cross. In order for us to understand this, let's back up to chapter one for a moment and look at verses 16 and following. Notice in Colossians 1:16, we see that Christ is the creator of all things visible and invisible. So Christ created a visible realm and Christ created an invisible realm. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Christ is the creator of all things visible. Christ is the creator of all things invisible. Christ is the creator of all things visible and inside that visibility, there are thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Christ is the creator of all things invisible and inside that invisible realm, there are thrones, dominions, rulers, and authority and Christ is the creator of all of it. But more than that, Christ is the unifying point of everything he created. He is the one who holds all things together by the power of his word in his own person, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold 
together. So there's a new movie out uh, with Halle Berry. I like all those movies where the moon is going to crash into the earth or an asteroid is going to crash into the earth. And there's all these movies that come out like that. And everybody always lives in fear because they always tie it to climate change, right? Somebody did something over here, uh, drove a truck, and so the moon's going to crash into the earth, right? Uh, all you SUV drivers are the reason why the moon's going to crash in to the earth. So get rid of your SUVs and start driving Teslas. And then uh, the moon won't crash into the earth. There's only one problem with that. The reason why the moon is never going to crash into the earth or anything else is going to crash into the earth is because in Jesus, all things hold together. He is the unifying point of all of his creation, so he'd have to go out of existence before the creation spins out of existence. So we don't have to live in those fears. So he's the unifying, integrating point of all things. Verse 18 and 19, Christ is not only the creator of all, he's not only the unifying point of all, he is the first of all. He's the preeminent one of all. Look at verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the first place, be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So everything that Christ created, he is the first one in it all. He is the preeminent one. He has the first place in it all. And then lastly, as he is the creator, Christ is the unifying point, and Christ is the preeminent over all. Christ is also the reconciler of all he created. Just touching on it a little bit, just touching on it a little bit. Look at verse 20, okay? Look at verse 20 of chapter 1. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And so Christ is also the reconciler of what he created and the reconciler of what he holds together. But if Christ is the reconciler of all he created and Christ is the reconciler of everything he holds together, then that must mean that something went wrong. If something has to be reconciled, it means that something went wrong, which means something went wrong in the creation. Look back to chapter 1 and verse 13. We get a little bit of a hint of that. Chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Somehow a domain of darkness got into the creation. Okay? A domain of darkness. Which means what we have is we have Satan and we have orders of the angels who defected from God. They rebelled against God. They turned against God and brought a dominion of darkness into the creation. And along with that, if you look at verse 21 of chapter 1, we also joined the darkness. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. And so into God's good creation breaks in a domain of darkness in the invisible world and a domain of darkness in the visible world. The domain of darkness in the invisible world breaks in through Satan and the angels who defect and become demons 
The domain of darkness breaks into the visible world as Adam eats the forbidden fruit and sins as the covenant representative of humanity and leads us all into hostility against God and alienation from God. That's why a reconciliation is necessary. A reconciliation is necessary because of a domain of darkness and alienation and hostility due to sin. Now, what ended up happening, and this is important, is that this domain of darkness affected everything, okay? This domain of darkness affected everything. It affected man. It affected the visible rulers that God put in place in the world around which we order our lives. And of course, it affected the invisible world and the thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities and elemental spirits of the unseen realm. Rebellion affected all of that so that there is a domain of darkness that we need to be rescued from and there is a domain of darkness that needs to be conquered, and there is a domain of darkness that needs a victory over it that we cannot. You see, when the serpent came into the garden, Adam was supposed to kick him in the teeth and protect his bride. He didn't. He said, I'll let my bride step in front of me, listen to the serpent, See what happens if she eats the fruit and dies, I have more ribs. So he didn't do what he was supposed to do. So we need another Adam to come and not only answer the record of debt against us, but to actually overcome these cosmic powers that affect the world that we live in. Hence chapter two, verse 15, Paul says, he, Christ, on the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. You see, when Christ went to the cross, the rulers and authorities and principalities and powers of wickedness in high places thought that they had the victory. They thought that they were going to kill their nemesis, the seed of the woman, you see. They thought they had Christ cornered. They thought this was their gig, that they were going to finally exterminate the Son of God on the cross. They thought this was their day. And Jesus actually lets them believe that. To me, the most chilling verse in all of the Bible is Luke chapter 22. Turn back to Luke chapter 22. This is one of those sermons that is very rare for me. Um, I normally stay inside a passage, but there's a lot of cross-references today. In Luke chapter 22, when they come to arrest Jesus, we were just there. In Luke chapter 22, when they come to arrest Jesus and Judas is going to betray Jesus, there's this verse when Jesus says to the, to the powers, you're going to have your moment, okay? You're going to have your moment. Luke 22, verse 53, Jesus says this, when I was with you day after day in the temple, 
and you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour. Make your move. Make your move on me. And then Jesus says this, watch how chilling this is. Not only is this your hour and the power of darkness. Bring it, Jesus says. This is the moment that the power of darkness has been waiting for. This is the moment that Caiaphas has been waiting for. This is the moment that Pilate has been waiting for. This is the moment that the powers on earth and the invisible powers have been waiting for. And Jesus says, bring it on. This is your moment. Take it. And notice what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, if they would have known what they should have known, (laughs) they wouldn't have done this, okay? If they would have known then what they knew after, they would have never chased this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in the context, Paul is talking about the weakness of the cross and the weakness of the apostolic ministry and how God puts his display on, not through the wisdom of men and not through the power of men, but through God's own wisdom, which is manifested in weakness. And, and he's talking about the wisdom that comes with Christ. And look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 2, 6, yet, we, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, okay? Jesus, Paul's saying, we got a wisdom, but it's not the wisdom of this age that's passing away. And it's not a wisdom of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Verse 7, but we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now watch verse 8. None of the rulers understood this. If they would have understood that it was through the weakness of the cross that they were going to be conquered, look at what Paul says. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had understood that this was their undoing, if, this would, if they had understood that nailing Jesus to the cross was nailing their coffin and not his, they would have never done it. They would have never chased him to the cross. The power of darkness would have never pressed its own. Because you see, church, listen to me. This is not what the powers thought. The powers thought they were stripping Jesus. The powers thought they were disarming Jesus. The powers thought they were publicly shaming Jesus. The powers thought they were triumphing over Jesus. The powers thought they were in a victory parade over Jesus. That the Via Dolorosa was a victory parade for the powers. Look at the Son of God go under the cross and he can't even carry it. Simon has to come and carry it. This is our moment. Let all the powers of darkness unleash upon this one. Today is victory day for the powers. But Paul said this in Colossians 2.15, while they thought he was, they were disarming Jesus, he says, he disarmed them. You see, when they thought they were accomplishing victory over Christ, church, listen to me, God was in Christ on the cross. He was stripping the armor off of these rulers. The cross 
was stripping the armor off the authorities. The cross was holding them up to public contempt and shame. The cross was triumphing over them. The cross was a victory parade for Jesus over those powers because the Bible tells us in Colossians 2.15 that on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame and he triumphed over them on the cross. Jesus wins. But he wins through weakness and suffering and cross-bearing. Now let's make sure we don't confuse this, okay? Because this is where we could get, this could get a little confusing if we don't understand what this passage says and what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that he destroyed them. It says he disarmed them, right? Disarming is different than destroying. Now, ultimately, the cross did destroy these powers. It judged them for a final judgment. But disarming here is not a final destruction. It secures their final destruction on judgment day, but it disarms them for the fight of the church. It disarms them for the mission of the church. He accomplished a disarming on the cross. In other words, these tyrannical powers of darkness that had the, wor- the entire world in a chokehold of tyranny, the invisible powers that had defected, they are now mortally wounded. They are now tamed. They are now a sham. But it doesn't mean they're inactive. It just means they're disarmed. It doesn't mean they're still not fighting. It just means the death blow has been given and the final judgment is coming and the church is to participate in the battle between the cross and the second coming of Jesus and their judgment. So church, listen to me. This is going to get very important for the days in which we live. God created not only the visible world that we live in, but as we already saw, an unseen, invisible realm of angels and Lucifer and Michael and Gabriel and so forth. Those, many of those angels defected, and we call them fallen angels now, demons, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, and these are personal, okay? These fallen beings, these fallen powers are personal. In other words, they have a consciousness. They are consciously against the Lord. They are consciously against his people, but they no longer had the authority and power they had before the cross. On the cross, Jesus disarmed them and triumphed over them. 
So they no longer can hold the sway that they had before the cross. And they can no longer hold the nations in a domain of darkness like they did, which is why Jesus gives the great commission to disciple the nations now, because those things which held them in check, the nations are free now to receive the gospel because Jesus has released the chokehold and the tyranny of the powers, and he's conquered sin and death, and now the church is to go out and to disciple all nations, baptizing and teaching them because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, you see. But in between, this is very important, in between the invisible powers and us is another realm of authorities in the visible world, okay? It's very important that you hear me. There's the invisible rulers and authorities and powers who defected from God, fallen angels, demons, and the like. Then there's us. And then in between us and those powers are the visible created authorities and rulers and structures that God built into the world that are the very social fabric of our lives that are manifest visibly, okay? So I want you to listen to this. This is important. They are things like this. These visible thrones, rulers, dominions, and the like that manifest themselves in the visible world. That are the fabric of the way we live as a people. And we live under them, okay? Things like nation, state, city, politics, economics, tradition, family, religion, sexuality, law, justice, media, technology, ideas, philosophies, image, public opinion, trends, individualism, nature, science, health, medicine, and on and on and on. All of these mediating structures that we live our lives under. And you see, church, before the cross of Christ, all of those mediating things were under the chokehold of these personal demonic powers. You see, if you can go back and read in the Old Testament and you can read Homer and you can read the history of the nations around Israel, you will see that it is the demonic power that animated these creational mediating structures. The demons and the powers and the authorities and the principalities, they get into these things and they inhabit them. And what they do is they get into these mediating structures under which we live our lives and they turn these creational things against God and away from God and away from his way for them. They get into these mediating things and they corrupt them. They disorder them. They pervert them. They become isms. Okay? And so all of a sudden, all these things that God established in the world that are for our good to order our lives under, 
they actually become places of enslavement, you see. And people become enslaved to nationalism. They become enslaved to state-ism. They become enslaved to politics. They become enslaved to economics. They become enslaved to traditional-ism. They become enslaved to family-ism. They become enslaved to media-ism. They become enslaved to technology-ism. They become enslaved to scientism. All of these things that are made, the demons jump into them, they animate them, they pervert them, they turn them, and they use these mediating structures to enslave the image bearers of God. In addition to that, listen, we in our sinfulness open the way for the demonic with these things. We say to the demonic, take these good creational structures and make us slaves to them rather than free men under them. And listen, church, let me tell you how, we, how mankind does that, has done that, up to the cross and even in our day, because this is what we're facing in our day is the giving of these things away, right? Because Satan comes as an angel of light, right? Why not come garbed in the goodness of statism? Why not come wrapped in a flag, right? Why not come that way? Why not show up as an angel of light in, in taking uh, even, even tradition and, and, and enslaving people in it? Or think about living as a family in India. You become a Christian, you'd be cut off from everything because family-ism and the bloodlines are more important than the blood of Christ and there's a cost involved. These things are real in our world, you see. And what happens is, is the demons get into these things, into the structures. We ourselves in our sinfulness open the way for the demonic because here's what we do with these things. We take these mediating aspects of the social fabric of our lives and we absolutize them. We turn them into idols. We make them ultimate. We worship them. We put our hope in them. We find our identity in them. So we find our identity in the state. Or we find our hope in a certain uh, wing of politics. Or we put all of our identity in a certain way of seeing justice social justice, or we throw all our hope into medicine, hoping that it's gonna save us from something that's actually gonna be true, that we die. And you see what happens. All of those things that God created that we are to live under in harmony because they're for our good, the demonic world jumps into them, we open the way for the demonic to get into them because we take these things and we turn them into things that we worship, put our hope in, idolize, put our security in, put our identity in, and we throw our whole lives on these creational things and they were never meant to be gods. They were only meant to be servants. And so what happens is they become dehumanizing because they captivate our imaginations. 
They captivate our minds. They captivate our hearts. And they captivate our practices. And we come to define our lives by the phones in our pockets. What a sham. What an absurdity to have technology, to be enslaved to that. And to give away all of the good things that God made to order our world and to turn them into things that simply simply destroy us and destroy humanity. But church, guess what? What Christ accomplished on the cross was a disarming of these invisible powers. What Christ accomplished on the cross is he broke that chokehold that the invisible powers had on these visible things. What Christ has done is he has actually affected, he has affected a reconciliation. Listen, he has affected a reconciliation through the cross so that the church can actually participate in a spiritual battle for the reorientation as servants of all of these creational things that God gives, you see. Let me say that again, because this is important. Christ has disarmed these rulers. Christ has tamed these rulers. He's broken the chokehold that they had on all of these things. And now through the reconciliation of things, the church can begin to participate in the spiritual battle for the reorientation of politics in a right way. For the reorientation of economics in a right way for the reorientation of tradition in a right way, for the reorientation of family in the right way, for a reorientation of sexuality in the right way, for a reorientation of law in the right way, for a reorientation of the individual in the right way, for a reorientation of health in the right way. You see, because Christ has accomplished this, disarming, now the church can step into this and participate because the demons no longer have a chokehold on this, because this is no longer their territory. It's Christ's territory. Christ is now Lord of all of these things. They're his, you see. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. Verses 9 and 10. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, just back up. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. All of those things of which those powers had a chokehold on, Jesus is Lord of. And he has purchased their reconciliation. And we are his bride in the world. And we are responsible to go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring the implications of the gospel to every area of life. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is no square inch of the universe in which Jesus Christ does not say is mine. I would even say you throw athletics and sports in here as well. All of it. All of life belongs to Jesus, and the church is to participate in reorienting all of that back in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the mission of the church. That's our calling as the church because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Now, I'm going to unfold a couple of things 
just practically for us. I don't normally do this, but this sermon admitted of me actually being practical and not simply theoretical. Who knew? Enjoy it while you can. It might be a decade before it happens again. Number one, because all of this is true, because Christ has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing in them on the cross, number one, we do not have to be taken in by these things, okay? The church does not have to conform to the reigning ideologies of unbelief. We do not have to. We should not be overawed by the stupidity of the world. We should not be taken captive by the sham of the world. We certainly should not submit to it. And listen to me, church, and here's where our problem is right now. We should not be collaborating with them. James says, if you want to make yourself an enemy of God, become a friend of the world. We have to be willing to draw lines and say, there is a way in which Jesus is Lord here, and we're not budging, no matter the cost. And we don't have to give in to the ideologies. We don't have to. Look at what Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 4. Okay, why? He just says, you don't have to. You don't have, because of what Christ did for you in forgiving your sins and making you alive with Christ, and because he, he exercised that, that accomplishment over the powers, that victory, you just don't have to. You don't have to go along with the nonsense. Look at what he says in 2.4. I say this, watch, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm just telling you this so that you don't get deluded. No big deal. Just don't do it. Don't get deluded by the worldly nonsense. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Make sure it doesn't happen. Make sure it doesn't happen. You're free. Make sure that the world's agenda and the world's ideologies and the world's wisdom Make sure because of your union with Christ, make sure it doesn't get to you. Make sure it doesn't get to you. Make sure it doesn't get to your children. Make sure it doesn't get to your church. The church does not have to submit to the disarmed rulers because we have the wisdom of God in Christ. Everything we need for everything is in Jesus Christ. Everything. We don't need anything more. Secondly, so we, don't, we, just don't, we just don't buy in, right? What does Paul tell us in, in Romans 12? In view of the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. We don't have to be. But by the renewing of your mind, Right? By the renewing of your mind, that is where you will learn to discern what is true and good and beautiful and upright. God, he's given us all that we need for life and godliness in Christ and in the Scriptures, so we don't have to be snookered by this. He disarmed them. We are the body of Christ. We have the truth. It's about time we be faithful with it. Secondly, we expose this stuff for the fraud that it is. We expose these things for the sham that they are. We expose these things for the absurdity 
that they are. We, in Jesus Christ, we expose these ideologies and perversions of all of these isms, we expose them for the shams and frauds that they are. Let's just look, and guess what? When you do that, when we do that, it's going to provoke hostility. You need to be ready for that. When we start to do this faithfully as a church, we're going to get pushback. Okay? They're going to start fighting back. The disarmed ones are going to start fighting back with whatever weapons they can find. Let's just consider economics for a moment, all right? Turn with me to Acts 19, okay? Let's consider this just in terms of economics for one example on exposing them for the frauds that they are, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, there's an, there's an economy in Ephesus that's built on the back of idolatry, okay? So there's an entire economy in Ephesus that's built on the back of idolatry. And what happens in is when, is when Paul goes in and starts exposing the idolatry, it starts affecting the bottom line. And it starts to make people very mad, Right? So this is a practical way of exposing the fraudulent character of these things and then having it fight back on you, okay? So Acts 19, beginning in verse 23. About that time, I just love the way that Luke writes. He says, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Sometimes we cause a mess. Sometimes there's gonna be a fracas if we're faithful, okay? Wouldn't it be great to say, at now, after these events, uh, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning Soli Church's faithfulness. Wouldn't that be great? Right? Put yourself in the line of fire, man. Here's what. Why? Verse 24. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So they got this little network of economy going on, man. They're making idols. They're selling idols. They're worshiping false gods. Verse 25. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from their, this business we have our wealth. Our bottom line comes from these idols, okay? And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying the gods made with hands are not gods, okay? So Paul's attacking the idolatry here. Verse 27, and there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, in other words, our economic bottom line is getting hammered here, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. You see, Paul got in there and all he did was preach the gospel. It turned people from idolatry and it started affecting the economics. That wound up, then a fracas took place and Paul had to run for his life um, and get out of Dodge so he'd be saved. But guess what? This is what happens. If we're gonna stand up and if we're gonna expose these fraudulent gods, these idols of Artemis, it's going to infect the isms, you see. Because behind these isms are false gods. And when you attack the false god, you get the ism, you see, you get the ism. And so that's the second thing that we can do. Not only do we not have to be captivated by this nonsense, we can expose this stuff 
through a faithful proclamation of the word. And then thirdly, that brings me to it. We just proclaim to the power structures straight up, Jesus is Lord. And we rip them down. We rip down the idols for destructions. We are iconoclasts. We're in the business of idol destruction. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and then I'll be bringing this to a close. I told Nate this was going to go long. I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. I will get 39 lashes at our meeting this week, but so goes it. 2 Corinthians 10. Look at what Paul says. I want you all to see this. 2 Corinthians 10, 4. Paul recognizes that we're not in a battle against flesh and blood. We're in one of these battles with the disarmed rulers. And he says this. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have power to destroy strongholds. Did you see that? Our weapons are powerful enough to destroy what Jesus has disarmed. What are those weapons? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So anything that's contrary to God, we destroy the argumentation behind it. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. We take everything, submit it to Christ, and tell the world this is the way it ought to be, and this is the way it will be, so get down on your knees, because Jesus is Lord. But you see, church, we don't have to submit to these things. We don't have to follow these things. But the present church is a whore. And she's prostituting herself with all of these isms today. And it's interesting to me that at the end of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said this, you can't eat at the table of the Lord and at the table of demons. You can't do it. I wonder if one of the reasons why the church no longer practices communion is because the church is seated at another table, the table of demons. And since it's already satisfied there, why does it need the table of the Lord? May solely church ever find ourselves running from those things and submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all things, no matter what the cost is. Amen? Lord Jesus, take this word and do with it what you will in this church and in the lives of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.